everyone. I'm Rob Thomas with Club and Resort Business, and welcome to another edition of Club and Resort Talks. Uh, I'm here with Phil Karen, our senior editor. Phil, how's it going? I'm doing well, Rob. It's going well. How are you? Oh, wonderful. Hey, a little tired. You know, you yes. and I just came back from the uh, CMAA World Conference and Business Expo. Uh, I've been to several of these now, but this, um, like a lot of these things, was your first experience. What do you think? Oh, I had a great time. And yes, you're right. I've been with Club and Resort Business a little less than a year right now. And uh, obviously my first time attending the uh, CMAA World Conference and Business Expo, this time at Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Orlando. Uh, it was nice to speak with uh, company representatives that I'm normally emailing with and sometimes on the phone with. Nice to meet people in person, put faces uh, with names and you know connect with people, if you will. Had a great time with that. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, also, we went, of course, to that idea fair, which, of course, is what we use to then uh, find ideas for that we will then feature in our June issue of Club and Resort Business. Thought there were really some great ideas. Just a couple I wanted to mention real quick. Um, club doing an early Santa photos with Santa Claus event. Thought that was a neat idea. That way people can then have that as a Christmas card they send out to family and friends. Oftentimes Santa events don't happen soon enough for that. We're on a podcast here. There was actually a club that uh, does podcasts where they interview club employees and members get to hear about a little bit more about what employees are doing at the club. I thought that was cool. Uh, there was a place that had a dog show, uh, a club that did a hidden QR codes, which I thought was kind of neat. Like they'd have a QR code somewhere on the property. You had to, you could even kind of do like a scavenger hunt and find it. And if you scanned it, um, it would take you to a website and you could uh, earn a free entree from the club's restaurant. So I thought that was kind of cool. And one other one that I thought was interesting, a club actually had an emergency alert system where if there was a member or guest on site who was experiencing some kind of health emergency, a system was set up where members who have medical health, medical training would be notified of it via text and could perhaps, if you will, be the first responders, you know, getting there before the actual first responders to perhaps get, you know, some emergency assistance started. I thought that was a really innovative idea. I even talked to a gentleman who was standing next to me as we were looking at the poster boards. And, you know, he brought up the fact that obviously if you're out on a golf course, that in particular would come in handy. If, if, if somebody's experiencing perhaps a heart attack or something else like that on a golf course, far distance from um, emergency access. And if you have another golfer out there, perhaps who does have the medical training, they could get notified of it and drive over on a cart and provide assistance. A lot of great stuff there. Yeah, that's terrific. You know, we all, um, the whole world was kind of reintroduced to first responders with the uh, DeMar Han Hanlon uh, situation for the Buffalo Bills when he collapsed, his heart stopped beating. And they said right. that first five minutes that the uh, stadium personnel administered saved his life. And now look at him, he's, you know, he's up and about and doing great things for his charity. So um, that sounds like a fantastic idea, a lot better, a lot you know, deeper than a, a dog and pony show. But uh, not, you know, not that dog and pony shows are bad. That's right. a huge part of the clubs and the kids love them. But uh, boy, having, having that technology around there that could save somebody's life that's fantastic it really is it was really and that actually the one i'm mentioning there that that, that was a prize winner in one of the categories uh, i actually don't recall which of the categories right now but it was a, a blue a, a ribbon winner if you will and i did think that was a very innovative idea because indeed you often will have 
plenty of club members who have some type of medical training. So why not, you know, take advantage of that and allow that, allow them to, again, perhaps be able to provide, get some emergency assistance started before the first responders can get on, on scene. Well, I think that's a nice tease, a little sneak peek into our June issue, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah, hey, no doubt. Speaking of, of uh, putting faces to names, you mm-hmm. finally got to meet the legendary Brian Langhorst from Uses Chair. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, his energy is, uh, it's, it's outstanding, right? He's, it's it's um, second to none. That guy, mile a minute. And a big tutor for club and resort business. Uh, love hearing him. Love hearing from him. Uh, anytime you have a sponsor like uh, Brian and Eustace Chair that is uh, such a fan, boy, uh, can't get enough of that. Yes, yes. And he was there uh, doing his uh, well-known demonstration of standing up on his chair <laughs> to show, I guess, to I guess, if you will, showcase the strength and highlight the strength and durability of the uh, the product. Yeah. Yeah. The Eustace joint is what that's called. And uh, we're always, I mean, you've got three kids. uh, I've got three kids and I can't tell you how many times I said, Hey guys, four on the floor, you know, leaning back in their chair and they want to, you know, Hey, don't have to worry about that. I mean, you don't want to encourage that because you can still fall back and crack your head on something, but uh, at least, you know, the chair is not going to break. That was, that was a, I love that display. I love when Brian gets up on that chair and does that. It's, it's terrific. Yeah. It's a lot of fun for sure. Hey, I don't know. Um, I don't know if you happen to uh, notice this, but last week I think it was. Uh, well, I don't want to give it name because this is going to be timeless. But uh, Padel is coming, right? It's coming to full oh, force. Yes. Pickleball is huge. We write about pickleball several times a week, and the rising tide lifting all the ships. Right, the tennis is getting bigger. Uh, platform tennis. Well. Pedel, and we talked to another company, I believe it was AFP Courts and the uh, the Hinding Group, I think maybe it was the U.S. counterpart, but this Pedel is huge, started in Spain, and it has expanded throughout France or throughout Europe, France, the U.K., uh, and it's coming. It's it's already in some court, uh, some clubs, the Weston Racket Club in Florida, I know it recently installed two Pedel courts outdoors. It's kind of like a cross between tennis and squash you play mm-hmm. the ball off of these glass walls um okay. but you're outside and or, or inside but it's primarily outside and the the court is a is a different material almost um like a fuzzy material it's crazy mm-hmm. i watched some youtube videos when i got home from the cmaa and uh, it's a fast-paced sport uh balls are rocketing left and right and near you know like i said I mean, it's kind of like i mean i played a lot of racquetball growing up yeah, mm-hmm. I played some. Yeah. Back wall, playing off the sidewalls. It's uh, it's exciting. Um, it's hard for me to figure out the rules. You know what's <laughs> what's a, a legal shot and what's not. But uh, man, I'm looking forward to Padel getting here and yes. uh, trying it myself. Right, and I know it was interesting to learn. I guess it's already been well. You mentioned Spain. It's I guess it's already been quite popular in Europe for quite a while here, and it's just starting to make its way over uh, to our side of the Atlantic Ocean and. Uh, yeah, it looks exciting. I would, I would think it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounded like it was a little closer to being something that tennis players would be interested in more than pickleball, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. Is that what we heard from the, the gentleman? Yeah, I think it's a little, with? Yes. A little more uh, fast-paced and a little yes. more demanding than, right. um, so, yeah. than pickleball. Pickleball can be played by anybody, obviously. You know, little kids, right. old, old people, but um, 
I think this sport was a little more demanding uh, just by the, by, and by looking at, I mean, I played, looked at a, a probably a high level Pat L match. Mm-hmm. It, it was very demanding uh, to the point where one shot, a legal shot hit was going to go out of the court. A guy reached out or kind of jumped out the court outside and hit a ball back into play. Really got back on the defense. It was, it was, I mean, my, my eyes were all over the place. It was, it looked like a heck of a sport and um, I'm looking forward to getting out there and trying it myself. That would be fun to try. I, and I, I did play a little bit of racquetball growing up. And so if it has some elements of that, I think I would enjoy that too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that ball, that ball was moving pretty quick too. Um, but not so, it's not like you're, you know, close quarters tennis where that ball's coming at you a hundred plus miles an hour. Uh, slower than that, but certainly faster than a lot of the pickleball we're seeing now, where it's right. just dink and dunk. Uh, yes. Not taking anything with pickleball. Pickleball is fun. Pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America uh, for a reason. But uh, Padel, and hey, if if you want to go to our website and type in what is Padel, P-A-D-E-L, there's a there's an FAQ right there on our website. It'll explain a little bit more. Um, go to YouTube, watch some videos. It'll really take a deep dive, but uh, you can start at our website, clubandresortbusiness.com. Yep. That sounds good. And actually it's kind of a thought too, I guess, as we're hearing about the sport coming this way, I think we'll probably want to share some more FAQs to provide some more information about uh, rules and strategies for the game, just like we've done. We we've done recently with pickleball. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Rules strategy, uh, how much space it's going to take at your club, uh it's smaller than tennis court maybe a little bit bigger than a pickleball court um so you know you you get to plan this stuff out ahead obviously capital expenditures and all that stuff you can't just go out there and hey there's an open spot out there by the parking lot let's put a padel court you have to you have to plan ahead so uh start doing it now because because it's going to be here it's going to be here and it's going to be big yeah sounds like it looking forward to it uh phil can you tell me i think um you had a little interview today or uh, or this week uh tell us give us a little tease about what we can look forward to in the second half of this podcast oh absolutely rob well actually speaking of our uh the shows we've gone to actually our first show that we went to in orlando the uh, golf course superintendents association of america conference and trade show also in orlando got to make two two visits to orlando i met a gentleman named uh it's dr burn bernacki he's president of the golf heritage society had a nice conversation with him uh, about the organization and just thought it would be nice for us to uh, learn more about the Golf Heritage Society. Society was founded in 1970. It's a group, uh, global nonprofit organization that honors and promotes golf history. So if you're interested in golf history, the society will connect you with people who share your interests. They have uh, several collectors groups, if you will, people who collect golf art, books, golf balls, clubs, tournament memorabilia, medals, trophies, all kinds of things, stamps, even golf themed stamps are there as part of that as well. They have some events during the year, the society. So I recently spoke with Dr. Bernacki, uh, had a nice conversation with him, got talked a little bit about the society's history, kind of how it got started, how he got involved with it, uh, member events and activities and everything. And also talked about how people can become a member. It was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, last year, I was at the Atlanta Athletic Club, and they have a, a museum 
within their facility, which was spectacular, all sorts of Bobby Jones stuff. That's his club. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really interesting as far as the memorabilia and the historical uh, aspect. I mean, golf dates way back. So a um, lot, lot to look at. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing your interview. Let's get to it. I'm Phil Karen with Club and Resort Business. Well, I recently attended the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America Conference and Trade Show in Orlando, and I had a great time visiting with uh, people, learning about some of the products and services available to golf course superintendents. And while there, I had a nice conversation with a gentleman named Dr. Bern Bernacki. He's the president of the Golf Heritage Society. Society was founded in 1970. It's a global nonprofit organization that honors and promotes golf history. Well, I love golf. I love history. So I thought it'd be great to have uh, Dr. Bernanke on the show to talk more about the society's mission and programs. Dr. Bernanke, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was great to meet you uh, there in Orlando. It was. It was. The weather was wonderful, too. (laughs) Couldn't ask for better weather. Uh, First of all, can you kind of give us a short history of sort of how and why the, the Golf Heritage Society was formed? Sure. Well, we were formed, as you said, Phil, in in 1970, and we were originally known as the Golf Collectors Society. And that happened when a gentleman from Dayton, Bob Koontz, he collected golf balls and antique golf clubs, um, um, met up with a fellow from Philadelphia, um, uh, Joe Murdoch. And he was an avid book collector, and he had quite an extensive collection. And he also knew the history of the game uh, quite uh, definitively. So these gentlemen started to interact uh, mostly by uh, mail and had some exchange, which became our original um, collection of um, uh, of um, reflections on collecting and such. And we called it the Bulletin. And over time, it got bigger and bigger and more and more people joined. Quickly, they had 120. Uh, And then before you know it, at their um, peak, we had uh, about 1,000 plus um, contributors from the golf industry. So we had uh, quite an extensive, and we're still about 1,000 members. But in 2018, we understood the the membership to be more than collectors. We have historians, players, both amateur players, professional players, hickory players, um, classic golf players, modern players, and people generally share interests around the game of golf. You know, the people who are interested in art, the literature, there's so many areas of the game that you can explore. Well, when we come together, um, it's it's obvious that it's not just collecting, it's an appreciation of the game in its many uh, forms. Okay. And for yourself, Dr. Bernanke, how, how did you get involved with the society? How did that come about? Well, you know, um, when you're kicking around an antique shop uh, and doing that sort of thing, you, you sort of like, well, what, you know, why am I here? What am I doing here? And um, I got a great suggestion from my lovely wife. She says, Bern, why don't you take a look around for some golf stuff? And, you know, uh, it sort of evolved into an interest and uh, I picked up a few old uh, beat around clubs. By the way, there are two kind of old clubs. Um, um, the player clubs, um, we call them uh, bangers and more um, collectible, valuable uh, called hangers. 
those you hang up and, and know the history about, and the bangers you go out and play with. So I started putting those together, and I discovered a group that people that actually go out and play with these things, and it was the Golf Collector Society group. And, you know, it's been a wonderful ride uh, for about 30 years. Okay. So it started off as you, just curious, you were trying to find older golf clubs or other paraphernalia. Where were you going to find those items <clears throat> three decades ago? Well, you know, the, the original time I was in an antique shop with my wife who was looking for a particular um, subject item. And I was staring at the ceiling and, you know, it was a great suggestion. And before you know, we started interacting with people in different uh, uh, venues, sometimes an antique store, sometimes a, um, a yard sale. And, you know, when you talk to people, they sort of size you up about your uh, level of interest. Are you an entrepreneur to buy and sell or you truly have an interest? And in one, one place in particular, in a, um, a small town where we have a, a, a vacation getaway, uh, we were in an antique shop and we had been in there three or four times uh, talking to Mr. Shoemaker. And one day we were chit-chatting and he recognized me. He says, you've been in here a few times, haven't you? And, and I said, yes, sir, I have. And he says, you, you always ask me, do I have any golf stuff? I said, yes, sir, that is correct. And he says, and I always don't have anything. And I said, well, you know, I, I you know, you might someday. He says, well, I found some things at home from my family. And now that I've gotten to know you, I'm going to show them to you. And he pulled out two golf clubs that were his dad's golf clubs. Now we're going back. He's, he's 75, 80 then 10 years ago. And then these were, you know, go way back. They were collectible golf clubs. And when he showed them to me, there was a stamp mark on this uh, driver um, uh, and, and it was his dad's initials. So immediately it made a connection between that golf club and Mr. Shoemaker and our uh, connection to his store and me. So he sold it to me. I thought it was uh, a good bit of money because I hadn't really done a lot of collecting. Um, and it was 50 bucks. And, you know, when I went home and researched it, it was selling for $600. And he wanted me to have it. Yeah. So, you know, it's a kind of thing that there's also a fellowship and you want to transfer um, a ownership of an item that may be special to you to make sure it has a good home. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and on that point, so um, do you then, is, is that your specialty personally? Is that your, to, to collect clubs, if you will, or are there other specialties? there well phil you know i'm a family doctor and that's sort of general medicine so that means i do everything from pediatrics to geriatrics to end of life care and all the different subspecialties sports medicine you name it so i do uh enjoy the collecting of a lot of different things yes i have some books i have some ceramics and you know there's any number of things i have uh, clubs that i like to play with and clubs that are more the hangers, uh, the the collectible items. Um, so it's great fun, you know, and, and I would say that it can be overwhelming to decide. Let me share with you that I think there are three kinds of collectibles. There are personally um, sentimental items and they can be really uh, inexpensive. It can be a golf pencil or a scorecard where you first played um, with your uncle Harry. Um, or uh, a, um, you know, just a, just a simple thing. 
um, the the um, the economic and historic collectibles they have that kind of value and they're sought after you see them on ebay you see them in auctions and they're fascinating to follow and our society definitely has folks who do that and collect on the high end and advise people on the high end and then there's something in between that i think is just kind of a neat little thing that you found somewhere uh, and i call those fun collectibles if you have a second, I'll just show you one of them. Sure, go ahead. That'd be um, great. This this little guy is a very simple thing. It's a um, one cigarette ashtray. It's made of glass and it's etched. And as you can see, it's got two golfers in it. And if I rotate it a little bit, you can see the depth of it. It's a little thing. It's uh, just about two inches long, but it's a cool little item. It's not financially economically of great value but i can tell you it's a cute little thing i don't smoke cigarettes but it just sort of lays on my desk and i like it because it's cool so it makes me smile so i like it um i'm going to show you something else this is a um, famous golf ball called the varden flyer and and you know when harry varden came to the u.s um from um england to promote the game of golf here. He played in several matches. And he also had the vision uh, of starting to um, share the game. And he created the Varden golf ball with one mm -hmm. of the companies. And this golf ball is a gutty ball. Uh, it's a solid ball. It's original. So it's over a hundred years old. Mm. And it's uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, and it's bumpy. That makes it a bramble ball. And uh, I have, you know, if you are a ball collector, you might have, um, you know, 10 of these and 10 of these and 10 of these based on what period of golf. I also have an interesting little bramble ball. And it's a practice golf ball. And this golf ball is lightweight, limited distance. And it was promoted by Jack Nicklaus because he had in the Caribbean some short courses that he designed, and he was thinking about, should we have a short golf ball? There aren't a lot of these, so it makes it an interesting collectible with a little story behind it connecting to Jack Nicklaus. Excellent, excellent. Talk a little bit, too, about what are some of the benefits available to people who are members of the Golf Heritage Society. Uh, thank you for asking that. Uh, first of all, visiting our website, golfheritage.org, is the way to go. You get a feel for um, um, the types of uh, members that we have and the collectors and what their interests are, the historians and what their interests are. Uh, but the number one asset of our organization is the knowledge base of our members. There's so many folks with such diverse interest and knowledge it's incredible so for fifty dollars a year which is the greatest bargain in the game of golf today one can access our website with all 50 years of our journal uh, our journal is very fine um, it has everything on those um, auction reports uh, to um, what's going on in the game of golf we're coming up on rider cup year we'll have a series on that 
um, you know, we're, we're becoming more diverse. Women's golf, uh, people of color uh, are invited and welcome to join our society, younger and older, um, men and women. We're here for everybody. So golfheritage.org. So when someone says, gee, I'd like a little advice on collecting, I found something that may or may not have value, uh, or I'd like to learn more about the history. Boom, all of a sudden you've got a thousand new friends that you can start to access uh, a consultant, if you will. And every one of us in the society has been taken under the wing by somebody. Kid, don't collect this way. Kid, do that. Don't do this. And, and it's really a wonderful mentorship and the opportunity to interact with people uh, is just amazing. Just amazing. And actually, speaking of the interaction, I know you recently just had a, a collectible show uh, in Dublin, Ohio, near Columbus. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So we call that our winter show. Um, um, it was organized first by the Golf Collector Society and a gentleman who lives in Ohio, uh, Gary Wyckoff. He's, he's a tremendous guy. He was the regional director. He sort of helped us out and took it over and it sort of became Gary's show. And it, it used to be called like the, um, oh, uh, the cabin fever winter gathering. And if you could get to Dayton, Ohio, you did it. Well, when Gary took it over, he lives in Dublin. Um, so it's held uh, at, uh, that one is held at the, um, the embassy suites and it's big, it's beautiful and they have a nice uh, space for us. And we had 75 tables there. Um, and you know, you could go there uh, with money in your pocket and improve your collection. You can go in the room and just be awestruck by all the possibilities. And you can simply walk around the room, interact with people, make some new friends and decide, wow, this is what I really am attracted to and learn a little bit and not even spend a dime. So I usually do a little bit of both. I have a budget. I'm looking for certain things that I'd like to maybe expand or improve my collection. You know, when you have 10 balls, you, then you get a better ball and number 10 kind of moves to number 11 and it's off your top 10, uh, that sort of thing. So it's really fun uh, to do that. And there's every kind of entertainment opportunity, just learning new things from the membership. And actually, speaking of the membership, um, Dr. Bernacki, so if, if folks listening to this today are interested in becoming a member of Golf Heritage Society, uh, what do they have to do? How can they do that? Well, first, Phil, we have to go with Dr. B. The Dr. Bernacki is, you know, just a little too formal for me. Today. Is it? Okay. Dr. B. <laughs> Dr. Yeah, we'll B. go with Dr. B. Yeah. So in, in any case, Dr. B is going to suggest that... Um, um, the, the way to go is to uh, go on to golfheritage.org. Uh, a person can sign up um, online, um, and, and that's not hard. Or they can download an application, look it over. It has collecting types, um, collectors groups and subgroups, and they can fill that out and mail us a check to the to the address. So, you know, there's a lot of ways for for us to uh, to learn to get to know each other and expand the uh, Golf Heritage Society and your uh, opportunity to uh, enjoy golf in through a thousand different ways. Excellent. And I should also mention that I actually, um, I had requested in advance of the interview here, a copy of the Golf, the Golf the Journal of the Golf Heritage Society. 
right here. And I actually received that yesterday in the mail. So I appreciate that. And I had a chance to leaf through it a little bit. Uh, looks like an excellent publication with quite a, quite a lot of offerings in it uh, for collectors and people who are interested in, in the history of the game, which I am. That's really good. So I, I apologize that we only sent you one. I intended to send you a copy of our visit to Arnold Palmer's Latrobe Country Club, and they have uh, uh, a series of covered bridges going over a winding stream that winds through the through the property, and it, it is very, uh, very uh, Western Pennsylvania. It's really cool. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, Dr. B, as we'll say it, um, I thank you for joining us here today on Club and Resort Talks, and I certainly look forward to us uh, talking again uh, about specific types of collectibles, other elements of golf history. Uh, I certainly look forward to, to having you back on for some further conversations, but thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. A pleasure was mine.